Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. When we aren't afraid of death, we are less afraid of life. From these episodes, I aim for all of us to take more risks in life, go after our dreams, have great relationships, and maybe even some fun in the process. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the book, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And today on our show, we have Dr. Penny Sartori, who is the near-death experience expert. Dr. Sartori worked as an intensive care nurse for 17 years. She undertook the UK's largest and first long-term prospective study of near-death experiences, NDEs, and was awarded a PhD for her research in 2005. She is uniquely qualified as not only has she worked daily with dying dying patients for many years, but she has also had the benefit of undertaking doctoral research into NDEs. Whereas previous research about near-death experience has been unable to verify events that have been reported, more recent hospital research is showing that near-death experiences can no longer be dismissed as hallucinations or aberrations of a dying brain. Dr. Penny is the author of the book, The Wisdom of Near-Death Experiences, How Understanding NDEs Can Help Us Live More Fully. Drawing from many instances throughout her nursing career, coupled with many examples from people who have written to her over the years, she discusses that NDEs occur and have very real life-changing effects and how, by trying to pathologize pathologize near-death experiences, the very important message these people bring back has been overlooked. She reiterates that hearing what people have to say can benefit all of us without having to nearly die ourselves. Dr. Penny Sartori, welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Oh, thanks, Sandra. Lovely to be here. Oh, lovely to have you. And are you living in the London area right now, if we get a visual? No, I'm living in Swansea, which is in Wales. Which is in Wales, a distance away. But either way, wherever you're listening, you are in the UK, and I'm right here in Massachusetts in the east coast of the US. And my first question and you said I could call you Penny. I did ask your permission. Didn't know yes, to call so. you Dr. Sartori. But Penny, what led you to get so heavily involved into the research into near-death experiences? Well, the thing that really sparked it all for me was when I was looking after a man in intensive care and he was clearly dying and he had quite a prolonged death and it made me realize that we really don't understand death at all his his death that night shift that i was looking after him really profoundly affected me and it made me very upset and i started then thinking well what does happen when we die what is death all about and i realized that we know very little about death we know very little about the dying process right so i started to read about death and then i came across near-death experiences and they sounded fascinating to me. I read one account and I was hooked in immediately. Sure. And you know, they, they just had such a wonderful, powerful message. And so 
I was really kind of gripped from the beginning. And then I think my scientific side of me, you know, with my nursing training, that was very scientific. It had kind of said that these are just hallucinations or it was just a dying brain. But I became more and more curious and I read more about them. And then I started asking patients I was looking after if they'd had any experiences. And I didn't find anything, you know, in the beginning. But I thought, well, this is the ideal place for me to do my own research. And so it kind of went from there. And so um, I got on board then. I, I applied to the University of Wales and um, I was lucky enough then to begin my own study. So I was really lucky and fortunate to have two great supervisors, Professor Paul Badham, who is a theologian and he is also an expert in near-death experiences. And there's also Dr. Peter Fennick, who's a neuropsychiatrist and neurophysiologist. So these were both my supervisors. So I had a lot of great support, you know, throughout the whole of the process. Sure. And let me just take a minute to acknowledge you for being who you were by so many patients' bedsides. My father uh, died in 2010 and he had cancer and he was surrounded by the most loving group of nurses and it takes a very strong compassionate and loving person to be in that field when there's so much fear there's so much pain and just I really want to acknowledge you for being one of those people to comfort both the patient and the family in the that time of life Oh, thank you. That's so nice to hear because, you know, it, it gets so busy in the hospitals and things. And I think there are so many great nurses out there doing such a great job. And it's it's lovely to have that acknowledgement. So thank you for oh, saying that. You're welcome. And I was talking to someone not too long ago also. Um, there are many physicians that, um, you know, that it's been said that they don't believe in life after death. They're more of the... Um, there's no proof of life after death that near-death experiences are just hallucinations and someone said what who you really need to talk to is the nurses that are by the bedside and they might feel a little bit differently so it's just my honor to be able to have you today so really really wonderful so what kind of things when you started um, opening up this investigation into near-death experiences what kind of findings things did you find well I found quite a lot of things really because I was gathering the data for five years and then it took me another three years to actually write it up because there was so much um, data there and there were a lot of things that I came across and how people do have these experiences and you mentioned earlier on that a lot of people kind of dismiss them as hallucinations yes. and you do see a lot of patients who hallucinate in the intensive care unit so what I did was I did a comparison of patients who were clearly hallucinating and also patients who had the near-death experience and what I found was that the both of these experiences were very different mm. so for the person who'd had the near-death experience they were adamant that this was a very real experience. It was realer than real. So this was a heightened state of awareness. It wasn't in any confusional state at all. Now, with the hallucinations, that was very confusional. And when I followed up to patients after a few months' time, they could rationalise that they had been hallucinating and they were quite embarrassed by their actions. Now, with the person who had the near-death experience, they remained adamant 
represented. It was just as vivid in their mind and it was a very real experience. And they said that unless you've experienced it for yourself, there is no way that you could understand what the experience is like. So there were very clear differences and with the hallucinations as well, when I investigated them in depth, they were all attributable to what was going on in the background. As the patients were reviving and coming around from their sedation, it was things that they could hear going on in the background. But with the near-death experience, it wasn't due to things that were going on in the background. So there were clear differences there. That's incredible. I, I think of when I've, you know, thinking of memories when someone has drugs in them or I, I I've never taken drugs or anything but I have had my share of wine and margaritas and yes <laughs> I can't clearly remember things and and although they seem real at the time and I've talked to many people that have had the near-death experience and one thing they compare it to is is when we wake up in the morning and you've had a dream that seems so real but you wake up in the morning and you say oh that was just a dream many people the best words that they can describe the near-death experience is where they woke up whether they call it heaven or the hereafter or the other side it was so real that it made our life on earth seem like it was just the dream absolutely yes and that just really moves me to think that it is it is something very very real Yes, it's quite consistent, that sort of report amongst people as well. And it's kind of like an experience that is beyond any other human experience. So there's no words to describe this experience, how wonderful it is. And what a lot of people report feeling is just pure, unconditional love that they've never experienced in their life before. And in fact, this can be so overwhelming for the people that they become very emotional. And I've spoken to grown men who have just broken down in floods of tears at the memory and the recall of this wonderful experience that they had. So it's a very profound experience. It's something that remains very much etched into the minds of the people as well. In fact, I I had a a letter a few years ago from a lady who was in her 90s and she said, I had this experience when I was was a teenager. And she said, I told my mother about it and she told me to not tell anyone ever about it. So she said, I never told anyone, but it's just as vivid in my mind now as if it happened two minutes ago. That's That's amazing. Yeah, that's it. And it is, so it's a very vivid experience and it stays with the person as well. Because normally our memories as a human being, it's hard to remember things or we think we remember things correctly, but our our thoughts change and our memory changes, but that they're so real. And when you speak of the unconditional love, it when you even just spoke about it, it brought a, a big smile to my face and kind of like a moving experience. I cannot even imagine... I mean, it's hard enough for me to love other people and and to feel self-love is normally not <laughs> present, but just to be in a place or feel that it's all love, fully, fully unconditionally being loved, that, yes. that I would imagine would bring anyone to tears. Oh, absolutely. And, and they also describe this great sense of unity as well, where we're all one. And particularly in the life review, some people have a life review during their near-death experience and they can see literally the whole of their life 
played are in front of them and it's all going on at once it's this kind of described as like a panoramic life review and what they sometimes see is that they relive their life and sometimes they can relive it from a third person perspective so if they've been say unpleasant or violent to someone they feel like what it feels like to be on the receiving end of that mm. but also if they've been really nice to someone or just been kind in a way that they didn't realize they realize they feel like what it's like to be on the receiving end of that kindness oh. and it's like a, a ripple effect as well and very often they can see the ripple effect that their kindness has had on other people and these are simple things that people don't really think twice about doing it could be something as simple as holding the door open for someone but that does have such a profound effect in a ripple effect sort of thing so it really does have a really nice experience for them and sometimes they feel like when they're having the life review that there's a presence with them and they feel like this presence is acting more like someone who's comforting them mm -hmm. so if they're looking at say things that they're not particularly proud of that they've done in their life it's the person themselves who is watching this life review who is doing the judging the presence that's with them is acting as a comforter as well so it it's a it's a really profound deep experience for these people it's amazing so is there a sense of judgment or made wrong or right not so much judgment really it's more that the people themselves reflecting back on their actions and what they've done in their life and they kind of think to themselves well I could have done that better or I did that particularly well it's that kind of thing it's like a reflection more than anything wow. and that's good advice for as we're living now if we believe that this may be coming in our future that maybe some of these things we can resolve now while yes, we're still here and pay attention to those little things like opening the door and we never know what difference we make by a smile by uh, you know what a random act of kindness or anything like that that's right I know and you know since doing this research it's certainly had a big effect on me and I know back in the 1980s professor Kenneth Ring he did a big study into near-death experiences and he found that um, he used to teach a course to students at the university and he found that his students were actually changed in ways very similar to the ways that people who have a near-death experience are changed simply through learning about the experience and I've certainly found that to be true in my life so learning about near-death experiences has really had a profound effect on me and in fact it's totally changed the way I perceive my life and it's made me I've never been happier really since learning oh, about those experiences that's wonderful and I think for myself Penny that's one of the reasons I wanted to create uh, this show and have these interviews because the more we hear a similar story over and over and over the more we're apt to believe that it's true I mean years ago people believed the earth was flat and they knew that that was the truth and of course it wasn't but mm -hmm. it took more and more and more people saying it and talking about life after death and of course so many people have different religious beliefs and speaking anything in this arena has been kind of taboo for people and it's not talked about spoken about much and so I think the more 
people hear it and when it's coming from a credible source because we all know that there's some people out in the world that seem a little too airy fairy or metaphysical or I don't know but when I hear stories from uh, doctors or from nurses or from uh, there was a professor who was an atheist who had a near-death experience or you know you start hearing more and more stories it becomes wow this is really could have some truth in it and then in turn it causes us to lead a better life without having to have had the car accident or the operation that ended up having us flatlining on a table or something like that. Yes, absolutely. And that's what I think, you know, these people who have a near-death experience have a very profound message for us. And I think there are so many arguments that say in these are just hallucinations hallucinations or they're due to the lack of oxygen and things like right. that but we are overlooking this very important message that they have and I think it's when we start to contemplate death and what it means to us in our own lives that's when we start to really learn about life and that's certainly been the case for me learning about this death you know a lot of my friends and family used to say that's a really morbid subject what are you talking about death all the time for why are you researching this but it's only since learning about death I've really learned about life and to me it's been a, a wonderful enriching experience. There's a um, meditation and I don't know if it's the Buddhists or who it is but it's it's like a nightly meditation about seeing their life come to an end about dying and as morbid as that had first sounded to me when you can really embrace death and that the body's going to disappear there's a new access to living life similar to this is just my belief I, I've talked to many people that were diagnosed with cancer and in whether they went into remission or not there was a new way of living life there was a new way of um, making amends with people of going after their dreams of saying things they hadn't said before and if we can give people that gift right now uh -huh. just by listening to this I mean, what an incredible life a person might lead. Yeah, you've got a really good point there because um, a very good friend of mine, she was diagnosed with cancer a good few years ago and it really kind of shook her world totally. And I was chatting with her one day, we met for coffee and she said, do you know, she said, this has actually been a gift to me. Yes. And it, it had made her really contemplate her life in ways that she'd never contemplated life before. And it had given her a completely different way of living her life as well. Yeah, and there's so, and I'm sure you hear this as well, that you've been by enough bedsides. I, I hear stories that so many people have regrets and things left unsaid are things they would have done differently and fear and yeah. and what would it be like to be by the dying patient's bedside with them feeling like they're going to close their eyes maybe in that room but open them somewhere else because uh -huh. it would just be an incredible way yeah it's it's interesting that you mention that because I have sat with many patients who are dying and sometimes you do see people who are agitated and fearful and distressed, worried about things that they've done in their life. And I think having had the benefit of doing my research, it's really totally helped in the way that I care for these patients as they're dying and if it's appropriate I kind of mention about the research that I do and, I, and I've, I've tried to reassure them and in fact it, it has helped quite a few patients who 
I've looked after and I think it kind of gives them something different to think about and and also makes them reevaluate what they what they've been worrying about as well you know sure oh what a gift that's a whole nother gift you are to people let me ask you a question I've heard stories that moments before people's death they either see angels or they see loved ones or they become more alert and awake or they might even raise their head and be talking have you ever experienced any of those stories I have. In fact, I've I've witnessed that loads of times, and I'm sure there'll be nurses listening to this, and they'll probably uh, have the same to say. And I can remember, oh, years ago now, when I on my very first day on the ward as a student nurse, I was sitting in having the report from the night nurse, and she said, "The man in bed six in that section, he'll be dead by the end of the morning. Wow. He's been talking to his dead mother since three o'clock this morning." And I looked around and I thought, are they trying to wind me up because this is my first day? Sure. (laughs) I looked around and everyone carried on writing as if it was quite a normal thing to say. So I got intrigued and after the report I went to this patient's bedside and I could see him kind of gesturing to someone and calling out to someone who I couldn't see. And I kept going back and forth to see this man throughout the course of the morning. And then it was about 11.30 and he kind of sat up, he'd like got some energy from somewhere. He sat up and he outstretched his arms as if he was welcoming someone. And he had a big smile on his face. And then he just relaxed and lay back down, closed his eyes and he'd actually died. So that was the first kind of deathbed vision that I'd actually witnessed. But a lot of my colleagues at that time were quite used to seeing them. And then as my nursing career progressed, I used to see that more and more. And in fact, as my grandfather was dying, we nursed him at home and he used to point to the doorway. And um, every time he used to do that, my grandmother used to get quite quite spooked because she thought that that was a sign of impending death. And she used to run out. But he seemed very content and he was smiling as if he was really happy and wanted us to see who was there. And he did die a few days later as well. But he had a very peaceful and comfortable death. So it's almost as if these these people who who are dying do see dead relatives who come with um, the purpose of taking them away into another realm maybe but I know there was another patient in my study and um, it was on a night shift and my colleagues called my attention to him and they said look and um, we'd called his family in because he was expected to die and it was about 4am and his condition had stabilized so the family said oh we're going to go home. We're really tired now. So they went home and uh, it was about 10 minutes after they'd left and he started communicating with someone and he had this really big smile on his face oh, and he was wonderful. like, yeah, and he was just mouthing the words, what are you doing here? And having a conversation with someone we couldn't see. But that was observed by all of my colleagues. Now, the following day when his family went back to visit him, he said to them during the night he'd been visited by his dead mother and dead grandmother but he said I can't understand this and he said my sister was with them what was she doing with them now unbeknown to him his sister had actually died the week before but no one had told him the family didn't want to tell him because they didn't want to set back his recovery and upset him so he didn't know that his sister had died but she appeared to him in the night with his mother and grandmother if that's not validation <laughs> or give someone hope that's that's beautiful you just put goosebumps down my spine with that one 
That's wonderful. Um, there was a woman that I know, a friend of mine, that her mother just passed away two weeks ago, and she was in critical care and hadn't spoken or moved her eyes. And just moments before she died, she her head lifted up, and she looked around the room, and with a big smile, she said, Hello, hello, hello. And she was speaking to those that she must have seen and then her head went down closed her eyes and she passed away oh wow oh that's lovely yes yeah. and it, it is so nice to to see that as well and um you know another thing that interests me as well i was chatting to a hospice consultant doctor and uh, she'd had many years of caring for patients as they were dying and I, I was telling her of my interest in near-death experiences and she said you know it's funny that the the most peaceful deaths that she'd witnessed were from people who had previously had a near-death experience so it's as if they they really oh. do know what to expect you know and um, they have absolutely no anxiety and no fear of death at all wouldn't that be wonderful mm -hmm. let me yeah. ask you a question about um, our deceased relatives. When people have had a near-death experience, the people that you've uh, researched, do they say that their loved ones were there? Um, could people see people or maybe not always? Yes, they could. Um, that was quite a common thing really in my research. Uh, a lot of the patients did actually see family members and they sent them back. They said, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be here. You've got to go back. And, you know, the, the patients were very happy where they were. They wanted to stay there. It was peaceful. It was pain-free. It was comfortable. And they wanted to be there with their dead relatives. But the relatives said, no, it's not your time. You've got to go back. Mm -hmm. And so, they, in, in fact, some people are quite disappointed as well at, at coming back into life, you know. Well, some if there's no fear, if there's unconditional love, if you're reunited with those you've loved... I can understand that, oh, no, I'm happy right here. <laughs> That's right. Yes, absolutely. Wow. Um, I'm just I'm just taking it all in. I'm sitting here just trying to visualize it. I'm looking up in my ceiling right now just trying to visualize this experience. Uh, do, do people claim that their loved ones look the same? I've heard people say that they're younger sometimes. Yes. That's right. They are. They sometimes. You know, if they've had an ailment or they've yes. they've had illness prior to to their death, and perhaps they'd lost a lot of weight and everything. Well, they say that when they see them in the vision type form, they've completely changed. They look younger. They look radiant. They look healthy, and they look happy. And um, one of the, the patients in my study actually, he had um, a very interesting experience for two different reasons. Now. He met up with a dead relative and he said that she looked really lovely, she looked really happy and she looked radiant. And what was really interesting about his experience is that she said, you've got to go back now, it's, it's not your time, you're the head of the family, you've got to go back. Uh, but when you go back, can you give this message um, to a, a living relative? So when the patient revived, he gave this message to the living relative and she was absolutely 
completely astounded that he should know this information. It was something that she'd gone to great lengths to keep a secret from him, yet he found out this information during a time when he was deeply unconscious. So that's something that we can't really understand. So something profound happened during that time when he was unconscious and he gained information in ways other than through the senses. So that to me was a really important case. That's wonderful. Excellent validation. Now you mentioned people being able to see their loved ones. Is there any claims that we still have our sense of hearing, our sight, our sense of smell? Um, I've I've spoken to many people that have lost their children. Will they be able to hug their their son or daughter in the hereafter? Are there any claims that people still have their five senses? Yes, some people do. Um, some people have had these. Ex- experiences, not in my hospital research, but people who have written to me over the years, they have described actually hugging loved ones. And, you know, I've, I've asked them, does it feel real, like a solid person? And they, some of them have said, yes, it does feel solid. Some people can smell the smells associated with them, like, uh, for example, their, their favorite perfumes or flowers that they particularly liked. And in fact, this is quite common in something called after-death communications. And that is another thing that interests me. Um, Some people have reported having, they they can actually see their deceased uh, loved ones. They can feel them. Uh, They can smell their perfume. Uh, They may get something symbolic as well. Something like seeing a butterfly out of season or a rainbow, something that has significance for someone and it often gives the person then great comfort knowing that their loved one is kind of giving some sort of message for that to them as well. A friend of mine um, after his wife passed away from cancer when he walked out of the funeral home uh, there hadn't been any rain that day and he walked out and there was a full rainbow Oh wow! and he snapped that picture and He also recently sent me one because he's been talking to her. Please send me a sign. Send me a sign. And he looked up at the sky and very few clouds in the sky, but the clouds right above him said, hi, the letter H, the capital letter H, and then the small letter I with the, the dot on the top. He took a picture and sent it to me. And Penny, I mean, that just looked like a hello from heaven. I mean, it was amazing. So some of the, some of those things, you know, I, I think it's easy for the skeptical mind to justify that that's not possible. Um, but, you know, I, I tell you what, I, I think our minds here on Earth really can be our worst enemy sometimes. You know, we can find evidence for whatever it is um, we want to believe in. And, you know, what I like to remind people is, we're living in 2014 if if you're listening in 2014 it might be later on that you're listening but around us is this miraculous world you're in the uk i'm in the united states and we are able to speak without any wires connecting us right now (laughs) you know i have nothing connected to my computer and somehow we're connecting we have around us this virtual world called the internet and we are able to pick up wirelessly in this invisible world and it's my personal belief that if if this invisible world can be real heaven can also be real with our loved ones uh existing in a place just invisible to our eyes but that they're there so 
we need to sometimes get out of our own thinking that you need to be able to see it, feel it, hear it, smell it, or touch it for it to be real, when around us there are some invisible things that are very, very real. Yeah, you know, we kind of just don't understand these things, you know, so it's it's no reason to discredit them, because they do have a powerful effect on the grieving process, for example. Sure. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of therapeutic benefits to these experiences, and it would be wise to take more notice of them, really. Would you speak a little bit about that? Um, maybe what you feel the difference would be after studying near-death experiences in the grieving process. I think what we need to do, really, is incorporate these into our education because there are so many people who are kind of skeptical or not necessarily skeptical, skeptical they just have preconceptions that they know that these are hallucinations and that's all it is but it's not you know those are my preconceptions before I started my research mine too and, yeah and and doing my research has is, is just opened my eyes because I've witnessed things during my role as a nurse looking after patients who are dying and I think we really do need to take more notice of these and I think people are taking them on board now they are noticing them more and I think um, like counsellors grief counsellors for example they do recognise the therapeutic benefits of understanding near-death experiences and I know a friend of mine was going to grief therapy and her counsellor had suggested that she read accounts of near-death experiences and she did this and they did have a big health, um, effect on her grieving process it did help with it you know it did help her to work through that loss of her loved one so I, th I think it is important that we take notice of these yes I do too any words from those that have experienced the near-death experiences or people that have written to you about what they feel the reason for life is life here on earth it's almost as if we kind of um developing and growing ourselves really you know it's it's about growth of our our true self and having different experiences so that we learn from these experiences and we can be the best person who we're meant to be really oh that's wonderful um my my mind's going in two places i'm just excited to talk with you <laughs> <laughs> has there been anybody who or any commonalities of how they described whether they call it heaven or the hereafter um well they tend they tend to be influenced really by the person's upbringing and their culture okay and um so a lot of people kind of they follow the same themes but it's mainly the things that are in the person's cultural background and their upbringing so for example people in the west are more likely to see images of Christ or beautiful gardens with lush green grass, vividly colored flowers. And perhaps people in um, places like the Philippines, a, um, a colleague of mine, her grandmother had a very deep near-death experience many years ago. And she said that um, she had an arduous journey up a big mountain and it was very difficult. It was a struggle to get to the top. But when she got to the top, she met this man and he had a white flowing robe on and it was a wonderful experience and it completely changed her life you know so so there are differences according to the culture of the person and for example people in India um, they report seeing a man called Chitragupta who is the man with a book and it's a book of the deeds and it's the deeds of their life kind of thing almost oh. 
very similar to the life review in in some um, respects as well. So, so there are very much cultural influences in how this experience is perceived. And again, you know, even young children have these experiences. And that particularly interests me because they have no preconceptions of death. They, you know, they, they don't know and they haven't, they don't discuss death. And one case that particularly st- sticks in my mind, it features in my book, The Wisdom of Near-Death Experiences, is a young boy and... Um, he was his dad was uh, working in the army base in germany and his little boy got um, seriously unwell had to go to the operating room for emergency surgery and while in the operating room he had a cardiac arrest mm-hmm. and um, luckily he recovered he was resuscitated and he recovered and um, a few months later his father wrote this letter to me he said I couldn't understand I couldn't believe this when he said it but he said um, I was very shocked because I said to him on my day off what do you want to do shall we go somewhere do you and uh, his son said yes I want to go to the park and his father said that there was no park around you know he'd never taken his son to the park in Germany right so he said well, well what park are you talking about and he said the park that I went to when I was in the hospital I had to get to it I had to go through that tunnel to get into the park and when I was in the park there was a white picket fence and he said I tried to climb over the fence but there was a man standing behind the fence and he said no you've got to go back you can't come in and he said I went back down the tunnel and I ended up back in the hospital oh that's beautiful mm-hmm. and so you know it's a young boy you know how how can they have that kind of preconception no they can't mm-hmm. I, I had spoken with a man who was feeling a lot of guilt that he wasn't watching his son and his son got into a lake and ended up drowning and then he was revived and uh, I met him I met this man on an airplane but what had happened is when the son woke up in the hospital um, he was happy to see his father and his father was saying, you know, what happened? And the little boy wanted to try to swim is what happened, even yeah. though he was too young to swim. But he said, well, what happened? He says, well, then I swallowed water. And then he described how he f- floated up and he looked down on the water and he says the big face was there and the big face said it would be okay and big bright face mm-hmm. and that it wasn't time. I had to go back to you, daddy, you know, and I, just beautiful wow penny has anybody reported um like a hell or negativity or um you know what i'm asking the violence the the bad stuff some people do get these and it's a a very small minority of the near-death experience possibly depending on what research you look at probably around about 14 percent so it's a very small number, but people do get this, and these can be very traumatic for people as well. There's varying different degrees of the distressing kind of experiences. The first type is where the person sort of interprets it. They have the prototypical near-death experience of going down the tunnel towards the light and meeting deceased relatives, but it's usually interpreted in a frightening way. Then you get the second type, which is described as like a void experience, where the person feels like they're in this eternal, meaningless void. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they can hear voices saying that life is just a joke. And then you get the third type, 
which is very distressing, where people feel that they're in hell or looking into hell and trying to be dragged down by demons. And that is very traumatic. And in fact, a lot of people won't talk about it. So it's very difficult to research these experiences because they have such a profound and traumatic effect on people that they don't really want to recall them and they don't want to share them and in fact some people feel like there's a stigma involved with it and say why why did I have this unpleasant experience when so many people have a lovely experience what have I done wrong in my life and um, so I think we certainly do need to do more research to understand these so that we can support these people but what I've noticed as well through my research is that some people they start off having this kind of distressing experience but if they relax into it, it often turns into a very pleasant experience. So it can start off unpleasant, but it can then turn into a really wonderful, beautiful experience. I spoke with a professor, Penny, who lived a very hard life. He didn't go into details, but I thought it might have been drugs and alcohol and things um, <laughs> and he was an atheist and during his near-death experience he did go into that hell-like place with and, and it was just horrific and what he instinctively did for the first time was pray and he what he said was that it was like a little bit of light opened up just a pinhole of light and the more he prayed the more the light got bigger and the darkness went away. And so out of that experience, he he says he ended up feeling embraced by Jesus. He's gone back and who he is now is he's a minister. <laughs> and he's, he's making his life about uh, shining light on people and making a difference and having them make amends while they're here on earth and, and really practicing self-love and forgiveness. And it's really beautiful. So I, I find it fascinating. Yeah, now that just goes to show the depths of these experiences. You've got this professor who's an atheist and he has this experience and it turns his life around and now he's a minister. What what a difference, hey? That that really does show how deep and profound these experiences yes. can be. Do you find, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I've now done, I think, 27 interviews with people. Do you find a commonality that when people come back after a near-death experience that they find a little bit of more of a passion for making a difference with other people? Oh, definitely, yes. It's it's all about being of service to other people. And um, they realize that interconnectivity, that unity. And basically, they have a wonderful message, which is like, treat others as you would wish to be treated yourself. And it's not just something that they say, they actually live by that as well. You know, they, their actions are very mindful towards other people. They're very compassionate as well as a result of the experience. They're more tolerant, they're more loving. They, they're very much changed as a result of the experience. Wow. And I love what you say that by sharing your research it is possible for people to live this kind of life now as opposed to having had a having to have a car accident or actually having a, a near-death experience that it's possible to live this now absolutely yes and you know there's so many the, these experiences are so we could do all of these take a heed of what these people are saying and even by acting like this, being kind to other people, there's so much research out to, out there to show that 
how being kind to other people has a very positive effect on our health as well. So, you know, it, I think it's, it's a, a really important thing to take on board. It's interesting you mentioned that about health. I've heard that before. And also, I love watching uh, or reading about stories where people make a difference with other people or when people find their passion or they achieve a dream. There is this sense of joy and inspiration that fills me. And I, I get the feeling of having like the goosebumps or goose pimples, you might call them. But I can only assume that that good feeling has to be producing some good chemical something in my in my body. You know, it just has to be because it feels so good. I mean, we know the the benefits of laughter on the system. So I would think making a difference like that um, would also. Absolutely. There's so many studies out there. You know, I, I teach a course at the university and it kind of touches on these things, how the, how science, spirituality and health all blend into one, you know. And I think understanding about the effects that we have on other people through our actions can really impact on our health as well. And I think being kind and compassionate and loving towards others is ultimately being of benefit to ourselves as well. And it feels good. Absolutely, yes. Oh, it does. So, Penny, where is your passion right now? I mean, what are you interested in studying, learning, sharing? Um, well, still what makes you happy? These experiences, you know, I've learned so much from these people. And my, when my book came out in February of this year, I've just been receiving so many hundreds of emails every day for the first week or so I had about 200 emails a day. Now it's kind of tailed off to about sort of maybe 100 emails a week now but that's still, still an incredible amount of emails oh my I, goodness it is there's just so many people out there who've had this experience and it's almost as if they feel like they've had permission to talk about it now yes so, um, you know I really want to do more with this work because that's where my passion is you know it's completely gripped my life and it's really changed the way I've lived my life and so I want to do more with this that's why I I sort of gave up nursing so that I can concentrate on these experiences and do more with this research well I will definitely be your partner in sharing your book with as many people as I can because I think there are so many people that um may have had an experience or even if they didn't have a near-death experience I think very often people have had an experience that they might have known who was on the telephone before the phone started ringing or have had some synchronicities or just or have had a a visitation in a dream from a loved one or maybe were with a loved one when they passed away but there's something that's told them that life is more than meets the eye and unfortunately uh, in a lot of our culture we don't talk about it so it's kind of a taboo thing but meanwhile so many people believe and it's people like you and me and so many of the others that are saying hey this is regular this is real um and it's allowing people to listen and then to share penny when when i first approached the publisher that i wanted to write a book called we don't die 
I was scared to death that this man would think I am crazy and would and, and and also when I told my friends and family that this is the book I thought everybody would outcast me I yeah. thought there'd be nobody that wanted to buy it and that I would live a hermit for the rest of my life and that's how crippling fear can be and so yeah. e- even and of course the flip side happened um ev- everybody's interested and I've become very it's become easy for me to share I may not be something for everybody but that's okay I say it you know with um honoring people who they are but if more people could not have the fear of what will people think if you know if they knew Mm -hmm. that I believed in this and I and I really applaud you for being someone who's actively studying sharing making a difference with others and I think you probably live a good life don't you well yeah yes certainly do especially since doing this research and it's interesting (laughs) that you should mention about fear because having done this research has really made me overcome one of my biggest fears, which is speaking publicly. And it was a huge fear for me. And I used to shake the first times I used to do it, I'd be on stage and I'd be physically shaking. I was that afraid of it. And having done this research now, it's made me so passionate about the research that I'm not afraid of public speaking anymore. Oh, congratulations. (laughs) But you know, there's, um, like Marianne Williamson says, you know, we can live out of fear or you can live out of love. And when you live out of love, everything kind of goes the right way then. Yeah. So when you look at other people around and you just know it's just another one of you sitting over there that we don't really have to be afraid of others. Every single one of us has our own hopes and dreams and fears. And and mm-hmm. so all around you is just more people just like you. Penny, our time is coming to an end, but I, I want to just ask, is there anything left unsaid? or any tips uh, yes. something m- just um, sprung to mind is that um, people also as well something that we don't really uh, realize is that people have more control over the time that they die than what we realize and I noticed this a lot when I worked in the ICU in that sometimes we had patients who maybe would hang on until a relative had traveled a great distance to come and meet them had uh, to come and see them and and then after the relative arrived they would die shortly afterwards and some people as well what I found was they would even wait for the family to leave the room before they died so it's a very unique experience and there were many patients where the family had just kind of gone to the canteen for a quick coffee and uh, as soon as the family had left the patient rapidly deteriorated and many times I had to run down to the canteen to get the family back and during that time the patient had actually died and so it's a very unique experience and it's down to us as individuals as, and I think we have more control over that, that time than what we realize as well. You know, that made me think about there was a nurse that I had spoke to that she said um, she'd open a window uh-huh. and often that that would make a difference with someone suffering that it was okay to let go. Yes, that's right. That's quite common, really. We often do that. And even when a patient had uh, died, we used to open the windows as well. It's almost like a tradition as well amongst some nurses. That is so beautiful. I know you're thousands of miles away, but just imagine that I'm giving you a big virtual hug. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you really for just giving your life for making a difference, whether it's being in nursing or now being one of the very few people that have taken the time to do all of this research and to share it so genuinely in a way that just makes a difference for other people. Penny, it's just extraordinary. You will never, ever, well, no, let me take that back. What I was going to say is you'll never see the difference that you've made with so many lives. But I'm taking that back because I, my prayer is that when you have your life review, you see the ripple effect of the difference that you've made with thousands and then it might be millions of people that they are able to have a better life uh, now and their family have a better life, better relationships, and just a wonderful, you know, create a little bit of heaven on earth. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Sandra. That's a beautiful thing to say. Well, you're, you're welcome. And now to find out more about you, you have the website drpennysartori.com. That's correct. Excellent. And on my website, we don't die radio. Dot com. I have a picture of Penny and also um, you can listen to this episode either on iTunes which is might be how you have found it or right on my website there's a button that you can press play uh, beneath Dr. Penny's interview and all of the past guests interview and I just ask if this interview has made a difference for you today would you take one step and it might be in fear and just share it with someone that you know that might make it might make a difference for and sometimes it's hard to approach the subject if you believe in life after death or you this has inspired you but just say hey I listened to something really great today I don't know if you'd be interested in it but have you heard about near-death experiences this fabulous nurse um, Dr. Penny Sartori uh, has done all these studies and wow I think you might really be interested in that and sometimes just opening the door like that somebody will say yeah that sounds great or no that's not really my thing but if you feel inspired to do so I ask that you share I, I know I certainly will so Penny thank you again thank you for taking the time to be here Oh, thank you, Sandra, and keep up the great work. I will. You too. And for our listener, I know there's probably many places you could have been right now and, and, and not been listening to our show, but I want to thank you for making your life a priority and for um, just reaching in for some inspiration for yourself. I tell you what, I think often um, inspiration comes when we're in action. We can't wait for something to inspire us. We need to either pick up the phone and call someone, read a good book, listen to an interview like this, um, or something. So I thank you for taking the time to do that. So this is Sandra Champlain. I have been your host on WeDon'tDieRadio.com. I do believe that life is an education for for the soul and that your life here on earth is important. So thank you for listening and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.